This is a story about a rock legend from Seattle, a literature professor from Massachusetts, and a concert recording from London. To start, let's go back exactly 44 years to February 18, 1969, and the Jimi Hendrix experience. Well, it's one of the biggest rock acts around. <laughs> Hendrix himself is living in London in 1969. Now you might be asking, how did one of America's great rock musicians end up there? Well, back in '66, Hendrix was in the States, making his way as the guitarist for acts like the Isley Brothers. But Hendrix was also doing gigs with his own bands. At a show in New York City, Chas Chandler, bassist for the British group The Animals, heard Hendrix play. Chas Chandler wanted to get out of playing and into management. And when he heard Hendrix in a little club in Greenwich Village, he thought, "I think I've found the person I want to manage." Joel Bratton has written extensively on Hendrix. He says Chas Chandler knew just what to do with the young guitarist. He brought Hendrix back to England. Formed the Jimi Hendrix Experience with two British guys on bass and drums, and、uh, you know started recording and playing clubs and, and gigs in England. Hendrix's British girlfriend at the time, Kathy Etchingham, remembers how Brits reacted to his first gigs in London. Everyone's eyes were glued to him. I mean, he looked different. His guitar playing was superb. People in England hadn't seen anything like it before. It was quite. Out of this world. British rock greats like Eric Clapton, Stones, The Beatles. Suddenly, they all wanted to jam with Hendrix. The Experience spent some months touring around Britain and Europe. The band released its first album, "Are You Experienced?" overseas, and then came the famous performance at the Monterey Pop Festival in California in June of '67. That's when Americans finally discovered what Jimi Hendrix was all about. Of course, setting a guitar on fire and smashing it does make an impression, but it was his near miraculous playing that really wowed people. And the next few years were devoted to almost constant touring, recording, working. Joel Bratton says Hendrix's work ethic was extraordinary. He would put hours and hours in on the studio, then play a gig or maybe two shows at night. When he was done with that, what would he want to do? Well. Find somebody and jam, and many, many of those recordings are documented. Joel Bratton has made it his life's work—well, part of his life's work—to parse out this wealth of Hendrix material. I say part of his life's work because Bratton's also an expert on Charles Dickens. He teaches early 19th-century literature at Worcester Polytechnic Institute here in Massachusetts, but he's convinced that Hendrix is just as worthy of study as Dickens. Hendrix wasn't a typical pop or rock musician. He was an improviser, so that、uh, if there are a hundred different recorded versions of Purple Haze, it's really worth listening to all a hundred versions because he does something different each time. And that brings us back to February eighteenth, nineteen sixty-nine. Forty-four years ago, the Jimi Hendrix Experience was gearing up to play the first of two gigs in London's famous Royal Albert Hall. The second show, the one on February twenty-fourth, was pretty well recorded and documented, but not so the February eighteenth show. Bratton hands me a very marginal bootleg recording made by someone in the audience that night. Hendrix's "Hear My Train a Comin'" sounds well like this. 
it's a song that I think was very close to Jimi Hendrix's heart. It's also just a, a lovely, beautiful composition with a, a great range showing Hendrix's expressiveness, his tenderness, his passion. But little of that comes through in the bootleg recording. So imagine Bratton's surprise when he recently got a note from the editor of Univibes, a magazine devoted to all things Hendrix. The editor asked Bratton if he wanted to review the soundboard recording from Hendrix's February 18, 1969 show. That meant audio taken directly from the mixing board used during the performance. Bratton said yes, and a while later, while teaching a Dickens course in London, he received the CDs. Suddenly, Hear My Train A-Comin' sounded like this. Here, Bratton says, you get to hear the real Hendrix at an interesting point in time. This is one of the last recorded shows he played with the experience in Britain. By June of 1969, the band would break up and go their separate ways. And by September of the following year, Hendrix would be dead in London at the age of 27. I do think this is the concert tape find of the century. Uh, of course, the century's not that old now. But uh, it's the most exciting live concert tape discovery for decades. Bratton played most of the soundboard recording for me recently, but because of worries over the legal rights to it, he would only give me less than a minute to illustrate this piece. Still, Bratton points out, it's enough to get a sense of Hendrix's exquisite fretwork. I asked Bratton, who made the recording? Where was it all these years? Who might have found it? Who could have been hiding it? He wouldn't answer any of these questions on the record. It might get weird, he said. Hendrix's estate is pretty strict about the release of recordings such as these. Still, Bratton hopes that one day, the soundboard recording for the February 18, 1969 show in Royal Albert Hall will be released to a wider audience. The demand, he says, will always be there for it. It is kind of incredible that uh, he died more than 40 years ago and he still tops readers' polls all over the world, uh, number one guitarist, most influential guitarist, and so on. Oh, and a footnote that Bratton wanted me to point out, after the February 18th gig, Jimi Hendrix went back to his London apartment and jammed on a 12-string acoustic guitar. True to form, a video camera was rolling, so here's Hendrix that night doing Hound Dog. For The World, this is Clark Boyd. You ain't nothing but a hound dog.